0: Uh, Thank you all for joining us. I know that there is so much happening on this last day of 154, so we appreciate you all coming out um, for this conversation. Uh, My name is Novella Ford. I am the Associate Director of Public Programs and Exhibitions at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, which is located on 135th Street. I highly recommend, if you've never been, to come over. We do incredible programs and exhibitions, and we are a public archive. So that's some of the jumping off point um, for me, at least, in even thinking about this conversation. you may have read online that the inquiry for these forums that have been taking place yesterday and today, this one at two and one at four o'clock, has been by um, through a line that was the first line in County Cullen, who's a Harlem Renaissance writer, uh, of a poem called From the Dark Tower, and it reads, We shall not always plant while others reap. And really what I was thinking about in 154, being here in Harlem, this opportunity to really delve into how, one, Harlem has been this Mecca and this place for cross-cultural, cross-the African diaspora dialogues, and as well as history. And so this idea of eating the fruit of your own labor mm-hmm. or that of your collective community, like this is what this is about, right? I just left a home mm-hmm. of a art collector who has been Supporting black artists since the beginning of time, and how amazing it is, right, for the art world, right, with a capital A art world, to suddenly recognize the artists in our community. But really, it has been black communities all across the world that have been supporting um, artists of African descent. And so let's celebrate that, Mm -hmm. Um, but not just in sort of art collection, but also intellectual production. Uh, and then some. And so, really, what does it mean to be in this modern time, and be able to center Black thought, mm-hmm. right, in these conversations? To center Black production in these conversations, um, and Black archiving, as well as as the world again is talking about decolonizing archives, where there have been archivists who have been doing this work um, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So. We are facing on theory and community and legacy and storytelling today. Uh, I'm gonna introduce a little bit about the panelists, but they will definitely say more about themselves in the conversation. Uh, starting with King houndek Pinku. did I get it right, yes, <laughs> 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 who is a ceramicist who um, is French Benin. He makes, work art, makes art in France, but he also travels to Benin as well as Japan, um, every year, and so we'll hear more about his practice. Next to him is Rihanna Jade Parker, who is the author of A Brief History. Oh, there's a fan club.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: look, look, okay, got it. Uh, Rihanna Jade Parker, who is the author of A Brief History of Black British Artists. Uh, she's a researcher as well as a curator, and she's hailing here from the UK, but she happens to actually be in town because you're on a research project mm-hmm. right now. And last but not least is also my neighbor, but his name is Stephen G. (laughs) Fullwood, and he's an archivist. He's a co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. He is currently the exhibitions coordinator of Marking Time, uh, which we'll hear a little bit more about as well, as well as many other things, including my walking partner. So I think we're gonna have a very, very rich conversation this afternoon please join the conversation. I'm not one who really needs to sort of wait till the end for audience Q&A, so if there's something that really piqued your interest and you wanna ask a question in the moment, please feel free to raise your hand and I will try to uh, pivot to that. So first, let's unpack the language, right, and mm-hmm. the machinations mm-hmm. of the archive. Uh, when we use this term, what are we talking about? Could you give us a definition, a working definition for this conversation of the archives?
1: for the, hi. Hi everybody, thank you guys for coming out. I realize you have so many things to do in New York City. (laughs) And I'm so happy for for you guys to be here, to be with these wonderful people, and to take in what um, I think might be useful to you in your practice as curators, as artists, as thinkers, as community members, but also as gallerists, as people who are thinking large and imaginatively about what archives can be. And for this conversation, archives are, tell your story, so we're just gonna go personal. I'm a people person and people first, so the things that you've been collecting that relate to your practice, your business records, your family records, things that you may have picked up you know, at our galleries, programs, and so forth, but they help to kinda of tell a story that's unique to you. And so once we get into it a little bit more, I will talk about what that archive, which is really radical in the way that we think about black presence in largely white worlds, no matter where they are, how we are able to tell our stories. So I'll stop there.
0: No, so tell us a little bit more about that because I think that's gonna be a a great place for Rihanna to join the conversation. Um, So tell us a little bit more. He was also a former associate curator at the Schomburg Center in Mm -hmm. the Manuscripts, Archives, and Rare Books division. And so I'm curious about, Mm -hmm. right? So we work there and when we say the archives, that can mean so much, right? Like it's papers, it's, media it's all kinds of things it's an
1: institution it is so it's all kinds of formats so we'll start with that we'll talk about it um theoretically but also the archive the schomburg center for research in black culture new york public library is also an archive your house in a way is an archive what you carried in your purse today here is an archive what you put on social media is an archive so these are the things that are helping to tell your story so i kind of I'll say this, I was at the Schaumburg for 19 years, three months, and 24 days, but who's counting? (laughs) Who's counting? And um, as I was talking to Rihanna earlier and King, it it was just a beautiful experience to be in an environment where black resistance is taken for granted. You know, in terms of its exhibitions, in terms of the kinds of archival materials that we collect. As earlier, I was speaking with Rihanna, and she's looking at the Universal Negro Improvement Association records at the Schaumburg. And when it comes to our archives, when it comes to black people's archives, they are always in, a, not always, because I don't like to ring the bell, I like to be ahead of the thing, so I'm not always reacting, I'm thinking about the future. And that is, with the UNI records, they were on their way to the dump, because that building was abandoned, they went in and started cleaning out the building, and what happened was is that a, um, one of the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the file cabinets fell off the back of the truck, and somebody called the Schomburg and said, I think you guys might wanna look at this. And that's when the Schomburg came. We've gone into garbage bins, we've gone into people's houses, people who died, and found this stuff that you now, that now is available for public research. So archives can be, they're, um, they're endangered no matter what they are. And archives are very exclusive in their way, meaning that you, don't, you cannot collect everything. But what you do collect and what you do save as it relates to your profession as an artist, as a curator, as a thinker, helps us us understand your story. But it's not, as I was telling King earlier, you're the first community. Mm -hmm. And then, if you take care of your stuff, it helps the community build. Mm -hmm. So think of it that way.
0: Which, Rihanna, I'm curious about your, while you were researching and writing um, the brief history of black British artists, What did you find helpful about the archive and what were some of the challenges? So I had a few challenges because the Tate
2: approached me in late 2020. So England had a real lockdown, apart from the US. We were really stuck. Mm -hmm. So my phone calls were regulated to the artists who were still in capacity to speak to me. Um, I decided to start with a art history further back from the 80s. So I had people in precarious ages um, in the states of health, that was very difficult, but people were being very generous with their time, still going to the post office, despite how difficult that was at the time. Mm-hmm. Digital access, I got passwords from the tape, that wasn't easy, even though it was for their own benefit. It took a lot of convincing, but it's very bureaucratic to decide what I got access to to watch to inform the book. If it wasn't for COVID, a bit more hands on, I could have done studio visits. What was helpful was my own library at home.
3: Mm-hmm
2: which I think is at 720-something books, as my assistant has told Ooh. me. So <coughs> I it, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's every archive <laughs>
3: in
0: the world you dream of on
2: blackness in one place. Yes. flat. Yes. Every
0: archive, and I'm just gonna say this out for the for the record in case we didn't hear that comment, she said that <laughs> she has 720 books and the audience member who obviously has been there has said <laughs> that there are represented blackness across your library. When did you start even doing that to know that it would even be a resource later? Hmm. My
2: first job, I was fifteen, and as soon as I got my social security card, I started working. It was in a bookshop, our national one, so closer to borders in size and reach. I had that job from 15 until 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. So this is England, over 10 years ago, there wasn't that much black literature on the shelves. It was Baldwin, Morrison, a few others if I was lucky. Mm -hmm. I read through all of that by the time I was 17. Mm -hmm. I'm on Tumblr, so I'm giving lots of reading this, people like Asia, Um, Mm -hmm. very helpful to me. I could order directly from publishers because I worked in a bookshop. So I knew I wanted a title to email them with my access, get 40% off. And so for 10 years, I was able to collect because of that. Mm. Joining Freeze and Tate gave me access to a lot of very expensive art books that were then given to me because no one else really cared. It was just sitting in the office. Mm. Mm. I don't know how I got to 700, but I'm 30 now, so it has happened over time. (laughs) It took a little bit. But I was intentional because I was curious. Mm. The Mm -hmm. internet was new. We don't have a lot of spaces in the UK to hold culture. The Black Culture Archives is the only thing that exists as an independent space. Mm-hmm. The rest of our histories sit in state archives, which, again, are not very accessible because you know, okay. kind of that like, intentionally uh-huh. so you, you know how the UK is set up.
3: Mm-hmm. I didn't
2: know what I was doing. I knew it was important, and I wanted to be able to share it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just the issue now that a lot of these books are very rare, and I can't find them anymore, right. so I can't just give them away. I just have to let people come into the flat, and i leave them, and come back a few hours later. But People don't return books. So i don't know <laughs> i was gonna say tea. you
0: leave them with your books
1: invite <laughs> <laughs> them over let them read at the house give them a cup of tea send them on Makes their way yes.
3: Yes. that's what i do now i'm like
2: yeah come i'll just leave you and i'll come back later Ooh. um and i'm happy to be able to share that but there's a lot more that could be done and i wish it wasn't on individuals to do it but rather than complain and just get it done mm-hmm.
0: Well, what I'm hearing you say, and it's something that we often will find in the archive, is the absence of people, identities, of stories, and you being able to collect these art books that you were saying basically nobody else wanted them, Mm -hmm. but you had a curiosity. You knew somehow that there was some importance there. Um, The archives are only as good as, one, the things that are in them, right, um, and the value that we place on the things that we keep and save, right, and the stories that we wanna tell. Um, and so it is in par- it is paramount that all of us participate in this some way, um, shape or form, whether or not it's putting things in, in archives and or using them to activate them. Uh, and I'm gonna turn to you because King, talking about activating the archive, right, so as an artist, What are some of the ways that you even interact with things that might be in a public archive or in a personal archive or even a state archive when you're thinking about work that you're creating?
4: So, um, thank you everyone for coming. Um, I don't necessarily base my work or the work I create um, based on the stuff I find, whether it's written or, uh, I'm not conceptual in that way. Mm-hmm. I really follow the material and what the material says. Um, however, I, because I do ceramics, I'm really interested in the story of ceramics, whether it's in Asia, whether mm-hmm. it's in South America or whatever. And um, I do keep pictures of certain ceramics that are in, in, of interest to me, so prehistorical Ceramics from um, Japan, with the, um, um, during the Jomon era, uh, uh, stuff from the uh, the uh, American uh, ceramics history. Um, or, um, stuff from exhibition that I've done. So I keep, I have a wall that's like about maybe 12 meters. And so I keep all these things and all these images. And for me, it's a way to, um, sort of like, yeah, remember the things that, um, somehow the things that are important in the, in, in the history of ceramics. Um, the things that are important to me but it's not just ceramic stuff you know I keep you know um, I was telling earlier uh, Steven. I, I Stephen um, that um, even <clears throat> when talking about uh, active archives um, at some point I started uh, I started uh, keeping the receipt of the food that I was ordering from the studio mm-hmm. um, and thinking about it I'm like wow actually if uh these little things like keeping just Mm -hmm. that little receipt can definitely um could definitely be interesting to people um in the way that you know they can um for example say the type of food i was eating you know if if we go fast forward and i don't Mm -hmm. know when i'm you know buried and and you know and people find the stuff they're like mm-hmm. oh wow king you know uh, would order maybe kfc you know once a week or um and stuff like that and the type of food that you're eating um and uh, and that these little things they uh tell about your maybe your social status or maybe the the economical uh situations that you were in and things like that so um it can be things that are related to my practice, but also things that are related to my day-to-day life. You know, the music that I like to, to listen to. You know, I have, uh, I love Backstreet Boys. I'm from the 90s. You know, I've got, you know. Uh, uh,
0: you have Backstreet Boy posters on the wall? It's not a, po- it's, a po-
4: it's a, it's a It's a postcard. It's uh-huh. a postcard. So there's this, um, uh, and um, there's, what else is there? There are articles of you know, um, uh, silk roads and how mm-hmm. ceramics was influenced by, you know, the silk roads and exchange of cultures and so on, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I keep things like that. Just It's whether things that are related to the history of ceramics or um, the things that I like nowadays, the things I do, um, and things like that. But I don't necessarily go back to them to Um, to create works. like What really drives my my work and my creativity is um, the visceral aspect of things like Mm -hmm. the matter. And I actually have a very specific um, thought when it comes to letting that happen and in terms of archives. Ceramics, you do ceramics with clay, Mm -hmm. right? And the way I see it is that clay is something that takes years to form Mm -hmm. it's the sedimentation of rocks so i personally believe and it's it's something it's something that i really feel uh that clay to me as a ceramicist is the best archives and the biggest (laughs) encyclopedia of the world when you talk about big data i think (laughs) i think clay is uh probably the 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 matter that has the material that has absorbed everything from human history Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's Uh, it's universal, it's rock universal age, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. super old. And to me, um, activating that material, that type of archive Mm -hmm. has been so instrumental to me. Mm -hmm. You know how they talk about people that are being sent to therapy to work with clay. It's because clay really has something in it. Mm -hmm. It has incredible Mm -hmm. knowledge. There's so many things Mm -hmm. in the clay. The memory of the clay is powerful. And um just something mm-hmm. about the history of, of ceramics quickly. Ceramics they say ceramics started about maybe thirty thousand years ago in Czech Republic. And um, it was basically the shaman. They were using the clay to predict to predict the future. So the villagers would come and ask, "Oh, maybe um, you know, my wife is pregnant. Is she expecting you know a boy or a girl? Or what should I hunt or stuff like this?" And these shamans they were using the clay as oracles to predict the future. Mm-hmm. So when you think mm-hmm. about that, it's like wow. You know, they use the clay as a sort of like archive to mm-hmm. go find information. Um, and 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 tell the future, and uh, it truly is something I feel today. You know, so yeah. I, as a ceramicist, you yeah. know, when you talk about archive, mm-hmm. that's that's my archive, and yeah. it's like, it's like, um, it's crazy. I mean, take a lump of clay, um, and you know, put your finger in it, you will see it responds instantly, mm-hmm. and to me, that's the type of conversation that I'm driven by. Mm. In mm-hmm. a way, when mm-hmm. you talk about archiving and things, so I'm, I really, I really am a visceral and uh, uh, artist driven by the materials, yeah. really, and yeah. I respond to the material and what it tells. And it, and, and sorry, I speak a yeah. little bit. Uh, <laughs> and ceramics uh, helped me as a person um, to uh, connect better with my heritage of Benin, West Africa, which has animist roots. Uh, and that's uh, uh, how voodoo uh, was developed. Voodoo has animist roots. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Shinto, mm-hmm. which uh, in Japan, which has animist roots. So, um, for me, you know, it, it, it. Um, uh, when you talk about history and nowhere, when you where you come from and so on, you know, ceramics did that for me. You know, it helped me go back to yeah. to who I really am and my heritage and so on. And so, yeah.
0: No, I I appreciate that because I think, again, right, so the archives are made up of lots of different materials, right, Mm -hmm. and so you're talking about your work as a ceramicist, and I'm thinking about Augusta Savage, who was a sculptor, right, Mm -hmm. and she could not afford to um, bronze many of her works. So they were destroyed, right? So imagine what that tells us about not actually having certain kinds of work, what it tells us about Mm -hmm. her financial status, what it tells us about the materials that were available at that particular time. Um, And we would only know that because either something was saved and it was available to us to know now, Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of different stories just from a piece of artwork that we can tell us, um, but it's not just about that particular thing, right? It's also about the environment that has allowed this particular piece of material to um, materialize. And so you made me think about so the the question for you, Rihanna, and it, and it taps into something that I think Stephen can talk about is speaking of Augustus Savage and um, I believe Ann Petrie was similar, a lot of both of them basically destroyed or, Mm -hmm. Their archives are not available, right? And so Ann Petrie was the writer of the street, Harlem Renaissance writer. Actually, she was considered like a blockbuster writer Mm -hmm. at that particular time. Uh, Male, female, she was the first black blockbuster writer at that particular time. And she destroyed her own archive, we don't know why. Right. And by destroyed her archive, she destroyed her papers and things that were in her own home. And she moved um, moved away and lived a whole other life. And so when I asked you the question about challenges, even in the archive, Right. Like you're pulling together these stories about people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, How are you finding information? Um, Were there absences in the archive? Right. Um, And what. What do you wish artists right, or creatives or anybody here would keep or share uh, or make available that would help your research um, when you're doing this kind of work?
2: It's this intergenerational um, Mm. tension I feel all the time. Most of the people in my book, I think are
0: Could you pull your mic a little closer?
2: Most of the people in the book are uh, between 50 and 70, no one younger than 40 it's in the book the issue I had is a lot of them keep these things close to their chest but at the same time want recognition which doesn't make any sense they're cautious about who they bring to their homes understandably Um, I've had some people change their mind four days later Mm -hmm. it's all just emotions and it's very personal to them because their artwork but nobody wants to make work in vain I've discovered Mm -hmm. so even if they are struggling against me they do want to be remembered in the way that they find respectable that's Mm -hmm. the word it is so i'm also dealing with (laughs) the elders who are very respectable
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. we're talking about miserable west indian men and Mm -hmm. you just don't want to do what you're telling them to do Mm -hmm. even for their own benefit Mm -hmm. they get over it eventually Mm -hmm. but i need that stamina and that lack of i don't take things personally Mm -hmm. so it allows me to continue and push past i have a limit and I've reached that limit with some of my elders, mm-hmm. but I'm confident because there are other people to do it. Five and eight years ago, there weren't that many practitioners mm-hmm. doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm at capacity, someone else can do that. But the issue is those tiny details. You have to tell me where you were, mm-hmm. what street and why, don't assume mm-hmm. I know. Tell me how you felt, what were you wearing, what did it mean? Especially a place like England where all the the roots are very new. Everyone's mm-hmm. first generation, first is mm-hmm everything is done for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I need them to be as expansive as possible. Sometimes they're just tired and weary. They don't want to have that conversation, but they want the company.
0: Mm-hmm. They
2: enjoy me showing interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they want me yeah. in the house.
0: Absolutely,
2: mm-hmm. But I don't know what you can do with it afterwards.
0: And that sounds like, you know, that's the perfect role for like oral histories, mm-hmm. right? Dingo McCannon said yesterday when I asked her a similar question, she said, you know, part of it is that I get to tell my story so at least it contextualizes whatever it is that I Absolutely. leave here in the world. Because sometimes people will lie on you, yes. is basically what she said, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but maybe keeping papers that are personal, right? We, we deal with this in the archive where certain parts of the archive are not made available until, frankly, everybody who is even named in the work has passed on because they're trying to also, you know, with care, um, deal with other people's stuff in, as well as their things, but oral histories is another way that we carry these on. So this conversation and everything that you're saying will Mm -hmm. allow us to have even a sense of how an artist like you is thinking about the archive right now and how you're doing that particular work. Stephen, could you talk a little bit about the In the Life archive and why you thought about bringing that together and and sort of what the process was?
1: Sure, Um, I'd like to say something very quickly about what Rihanna said a moment ago about this idea of um, no one does work in vain. And so the archive extends your activism. It extends mm-hmm. your story. And to just touch on what Novella said, I think that our oral history should be done not just once, not just twice, but several times throughout your life. Because you might remember something, you might change your mind. Any of, Anyone in here who does genealogy, you know that when you're speaking with an elder, he, she, or they might be going, you know what, I didn't tell them that one thing or they forgot that they told you. <laughs> 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 and that that leads you to another story. So I just want to kind of, I'm, I'm trying to put that archive thing in your head right now, all three of us, <laughs> of us And so, um, so in the, the In the Life Archive started out as the Black and Lesbian Archive at the Schomburg Center. And this was an archive that I founded in 1998 to aid in the preservation of people who didn't consider themselves heterosexual, that were people of African descent, and that the Schomburg had an amazing array of materials already. Mainly, primarily mass produced materials, but they also had the papers of Joseph Beam, whose mama saved his papers. And a very short story around that is that Joe Beam passed away, and her, um, Dorothy Beam, his mother, people told her, just going through all that stuff away, it's just gonna make you sad.
3: Mm-hmm. What
1: she did was, she not only saved his archive, she moved in Essex Hemphill, a poet and his cat, into her house so that they could finish the second book that Joe was working on, which became um, Brother to Brother, New Writings by Black Gay Men. Um, she, um, in 1991, she donated papers to Schomburg. The Schomburg is one of his main collections of, or foundational um, collections of, of a black a man. And so this is a picture of Joe right here. And this is a book I co-edited and I published through my um, imprint, Digitentity Press because joe had died so early that so few people knew about what he was doing it was important for us the um the guy who actually came up with the idea charles stevens charles see we were we're on this reclamation love tour for the rest of our lives mm-hmm. so it's always about finding and elevating and wherever format it appears in we want to mm-hmm. acknowledge these men women and trans folk who've been doing this amazing work that you know when people go i don't i've never heard of that person it's like there's several reasons why you may not have, but also, you can learn something. Mm-hmm. Just go to an archive, because the stuff might be there. So the In the Life archive started out with my own collection of material that I've been collecting over the years. Um, I had an amazing curator, Diana Lachatenaire, who was very supportive of my work, and really, it was a community that built that archive. Because for so long, for example, at, concurrently, we were also building the hip-hop archive at the Schomburg Center. And hip-hop came in with like, you want my stuff? Black queer folk came in and went, you want my stuff? Mm. It was a different character altogether. And so we would talk to the founders of hip the founders of hip hop, and a lot of them wanted to sell their collection, which we were fine with, but they really didn't end up at the Schaumburg. They ended up at Cornell and at other places. Cool, but hip hop started in the Bronx and Harlem. So the people who helped build that, it would have been great for them to have access to that without having to go to Ithaca. That's my one rant. That's my <laughs> one rant. And so, so the um, just the, the folks like uh, Cheryl Clark, Alexis DeVoe, a number of people came into the Schomburg and they were just so grateful that the institution thought of their work as being valuable. And these men and women had been doing work in the community for 30, 40 years and are still publishing. It was an honor to be, you know, um, in a place where I could help make that happen. Do you know? And even though I'm no longer at the Schomburg, I left in 2017 to do my other work, I'm still, quote unquote, an ambassador for that particular collection and also bringing people into the Schomburg. So um, it's the gift that keeps on giving because you get to constantly, if you're nosy like me, you wanna know how people did it, <laughs> why they did it. <laughs> and also, black folks have done everything already in the world, y'all just finding out. And part of what institutions like the Schomburg Center and the Black Cultural Archives and a number of other institutions do is to remind you of that. So that's one of the power. That's that's one of the powers of the archive. So definitely, um, you know, I'm just grateful that I was in the right place at the right time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. Oh, and I'm sorry. And this is Black a Genius, <laughs> answering Joseph Beam's call. And in it, their contributors, the folks who knew Joe personally, who contributed to his first two books in the life, uh, a black anthology, black. Brother to brother, new writings by black Amen, as well as folks who are inspired by his work. So we have a um, colleague or she knows of uh, Ajamu X who's a photographer, his story is in this book. Mm-hmm. So that's part of like being able to um, publish things but also get those stories down in the books and get them to institutions where they will not leave the building.
3: Mm-hmm. Which is
1: critical. Non non collections. You go into it. Like when you go to that's house, you go there, stadium, <laughs> you stay there. You don't,
4: you know. So
1: so yeah, that's how it started is continuing to build and I continue to work with other institutions to build their LGBTQ collections, people of African descent specifically, and um, you're looking at somebody who loves what he does. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So King, you mentioned that you have receipts that go back some time. Are you thinking about your own legacy? Are you thinking about what kinds of things that you're saving that might be be helpful or might be used. Not even helpful. Doesn't have to be that, but might be used or um, is a window into your work or into your life.
4: Um, maybe my one of the things could be my glaze, um, my glaze recipes. You know, because mm-hmm. I make my own glaze uh, mm-hmm. and I have all my ingredients and formulas that I use. It's a lot of chemistry. Um, that could be something and. Um, uh my sketches maybe um, stuff like that that people could use. Um, but I don't know I'm I'm you know when I think of um, what people could use later on, you know um, and especially when we talk about archiving and um, and ceramics, you know, I think of archaeologists uh, and how they are able to trace, um, to figure, you know, what type of food certain people were eating or certain civilizations civilizations were eating, based on the pots that they would find, right. mm-hmm. you know, underground yeah. and so on. And I think, you know, maybe that could also be one of the things, you know, like that people, you know, who knows, they they, they find my um, broken pieces, you know, underground yeah. and they, because uh, also there's something about the material that lasts. You know, paper doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you can burn paper and so on, but ceramics really stays Mm -hmm. you know especially if you fire it like a really high temperature like I do so um yeah those things um yeah
0: Yeah, but Mm -hmm. are are, I mean my question is are you thinking about I didn't didn't respond
4: (laughs) no no (laughs) no (laughs) no
0: no, 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 because you know sometimes people feel like when you ask them about legacy it's kind of like I'm living in the present, I don't want to <laughs> think about Speaking life afterwards, about right? Mm. But, um, you know, if all of us were to no longer be here yeah. tomorrow, mm-hmm. there are things in our homes that will tell a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And either we're editing along the way so that if you're no longer here the next day and it's something you don't want nobody to see, mm-hmm. it's not going to show up. Yeah. Or you're not and you're like have at it you know so i'm I'm just wondering if you're even thinking about that or it's not not so much the case but it's just part of like your process
4: yeah no not really i don't really think about it but i do keep things yeah yeah i do keep things i mean naturally um uh Yeah, I do keep things. Uh, I keep things. I mean, receipts, you know, uh, I have to for my accounting, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, so all the receipts of the materials and the stuff that I've, you know, the the travels that I've done and stuff like that, I keep all these receipts. So, you know, my accountant is actually doing that archiving thing for me, you know. Um, And um, I don't know. I'm I'm just, yeah. um,
0: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe asked, I'll have a,
4: maybe a, another, a proper a answer. Different, just a different uh, answer. It doesn't have to be knows, a proper answer. Yeah.
0: That was a good one. Um, Rihanna and Steven, if you could both give us three things that you find useful when you are in the archive. Like, certainly there's lots of things, but if there are like these three things journals, blah, 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 tell me what, what works for you. Like, what's the things that you're looking for?
2: I like things that are handwritten, Handwritten. Um, it takes a while to, someone like Claudia Jones, she has very strong penmanship, Mm -hmm. oh gosh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it takes me a while to, I like looking at it, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. I can't decipher it though, (laughs) Um, and as I've noticed at the Schoenberg, some people have taken the time to text out the manuscript, so I get both, someone has given me the plain text, but also get to experience how they wrote it and what they wrote it on, how many spaces they gave themselves, Mm what was the break, what was the paragraphs and ideas where they stopped and started. That's for like a, a writer. Mm-hmm. For an artist, I like seeing in progress sketches for sure. That's always nice mm-hmm. to see the work finished and how it was imagined in mm-hmm. the beginning. Mm-hmm. What I don't get very often, are moving images and sound. Mm-hmm. Again, Schomburg has been great for that because I now have watched a film with both Marcus Garvey's wives mm-hmm.
0: speaking and yeah. I've never seen
2: that before, just yeah. pictures. And that's very rare for us to get mm-hmm. those moving images.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stephen. In addition to those things.
1: In addition to those things, so I'll answer it this way. I um, agree with everything Rihanna said. Um, as a researcher, as um, as an editor, I want as much information I can about you that you put there, not that other people put there. So when you talk about uh, the government, you know that's a different kind of record, right? Um, so, I want to hear you talk, I want to hear your voice, I want to see your face. Love diaries, love journals. They weren't written to me, but if they bit of archive, I get to look at them. <laughs> and um, I'm also thinking about traces of your own thought. So whether that comes through your writing or if that comes through your, um, like, you're being interviewed so you can do an oral history a video history you know and then have the transcript but there's nothing like you telling directly and and I love that kind of thing so that's helpful for me in my practice as well
0: mm. thank mm. you does anybody have any questions sure oh should we use a mic so we can <laughs> <laughs> We're doing an audio recording, so please, Uh, everyone use a mic.
3: For Stephen, it is so important that you shared what you did at Schomburg. It's very, very difficult to find any archive on black queer life and history. Mm -hmm. Did you have resistance from the Schomburg? And I want an honest answer, and no shade to the (laughs) Schomburg. There is a level of respectability Mm -hmm. at the Schomburg that I personally have never been able to get past. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a it's like one of the most important archives in the world. And I grew up in Harlem, but that level, the respectability over there is, is also next level. Did you have resistance producing this work?
1: So. <laughs> I won't mislead you with that, so. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, my curator, Dina Lachatiner, was 100% on board. What she said to me when I first came to, the, came to her with the idea, she said, okay, so I want you to think about what it takes to build an archive. And she just gave me some ins and outs in terms of talking with people saying, being very clear that, if, that the archive that they have helps to tell their story, rather than being a footnote in somebody else's book. Here is the evidence of what you've done. You know, she was helping me think theoretically about why it was important to situate black queer archives in a black institution for so many reasons, so many reasons. I was told about two stories uh, when I was there. One, to be very brief, one was I was trying to acquire a collection of a writer who went to Vietnam and was interviewing Viet- black Vietnam vets, right, or soldiers at the time and then Viet- vets. So his wife told the Schomburg that she didn't think that Stephen should be ahead of the, um, working this out because the vets might be worried that since he does this gay thing, he might be that, that, that. So that got back to me, but I'm just like, that's just a great story, right? This she ain't stop nothing. And the second one was when I was working on the hip-hop archive, there was someone involved there who was saying, well, there might be some people in the community that won't like want to deal with Steven because he does this gay thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, again, y'all yeah, ain't stop, no show. And so that was it, but that was from the outside. The inside, so let me say something about white institutions and black stuff. <laughs> You already know i just told you
0: <laughs> sounds like y'all already know
1: <laughs> you already know and that so they're always looking for the new thing their institutions would not be complete without our stuff and they are still looking for stuff so if you've ever heard of the idea of a hidden collection we're looking for the hidden collections it's 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 shit they didn't want and now their institutions are crumbling so now they're looking at black folks Queer folks, trans folks, all kinds of folks that kind of build up their collections to keep people coming in, right? Because the cultures are different. We're starting to think more broadly and more imaginatively about our communities. And so they want the stuff, and they want to be able to say they got a James Baldwin collection, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, be clear. And this is why we have to start our own institutions and do our own work and continuously, you know, build, continuously build. So that was the only resistance that I got. If somebody inside says something, they didn't get back to me yet.
0: Yeah, And I, and I, I just want to add, also, this is what it means to value even your community historical societies and, and mm-hmm. smaller, smaller just in size, if you will, maybe even in resources, um, spaces that are holding on to this work, right? Like yes. when we think about our historical societies and our communities, it might be a one-room place, and they're going to every parade, they're keeping all these little things. And they're not getting funded the way other institutions are, right? And so Schomburg is great, we're part of the New York Public Library, but like, do not let that keep anyone Absolutely. from deciding I'm gonna have a personal archive of fill in the blank kind of thing, yeah. right? But also have a, have a contingency plan should you not be the one to keep it, right? Where it might end up someplace. Um, and the second thing I'll say is that, right? We come in all flavors. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, and if, as someone who actually is really much, I, I love institutions because I actually think that they can be really useful because institutions are only made up of people. So if, if right. we've got problems with institutions, we got problems with people. So let's go ahead and, like, name that thing. Um, and so there's always people who are going to be useful and helpful like a Stephen if someone else may not be, right? And so mm-hmm. I would just say is to say, you know, if you find yourselves – at any institution where you're sort of hitting up against a rock or a hard place or something like that, find somebody else because that doesn't necessarily have to be the whole of the story of said institution. That could very much well be the singular person. Yeah. Well said. Any other questions? Anything that you thought that we would speak about that you haven't heard that you want to ask a question about? (laughs)
3: this doesn't fall in that category, Okay. again, very important what you brought up about the hip hop um, space and mm-hmm. them selling their, you know, the wares to the institutions upstate mm-hmm. versus the queer community wanting to be in Schomburg and that idea of, well, the whites want it. It's mm-hmm. valued there. Rihanna to a lot of the black British and largely Afro-Europe. We've talked about this i'm tra- I'm treading lightly. Um, I, I respect, I respect your work and all of your work. but this idea of it's not valuable until they want it. That right my there. God, we all have to push against that and mm-hmm. let our we have to educate our elders because that stranglehold on the mental space that's what it is. And I mean, that's very hurtful to know that Cornell or someone has the hip hop mm-hmm. archives like are you are you serious but that's, I'm just so happy you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we all, when you get into Rihanna's work, we're gonna come away with so much generationally. My God, what you're doing is next Can't level. Us. But um, keep that mental space for the ones that are resisting you mm-hmm. because you know that's what they're resisting. Like, oh, you, you look, looking like you, you want this and exactly. it's valuable now. We'll mm-hmm. F that part of it and just get the story, you know. Thank you.
2: Exactly. Knife. People over institutions, for sure. We don't have enough institutions in the UK anyway. Mm-hmm. So what you're waiting for is black hires in the white spaces. Uh-huh. And those black hires are not my kin. We don't have the same agenda. We don't think about liberation the same way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is what's caused a lot of conflict for me at 30 years old. I have all these mm-hmm. issues with my elders in the UK, professionally, because we have very different politics. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd rather us not to be arguing with my auntie. <laughs> I'd rather not, but I'm not going to force a relationship there based on um, our shared histories and travels.
3: Right. You have to
2: still be a, a soldier, an ally, mm-hmm. a comrade, and a lot of them are simply not. So i take allyship wherever I can get it.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, Rihanna, <coughs> thank you so much for the what, what, what's been said so far has been such a beautiful exchange. I was curious if you could maybe speak about some more places besides from the Black Cultural Archives yeah. that maybe have been, uh, you've explored or found those kind of cross-cultural diasporic connections. You know, I know there's places like New Beacon Books in um, Finchbury Park or maybe the George Padmore Institute and things like that. Mm. Um, but I wondered if you could t- speak about uh, those a, a little bit more and uh, if there's any kind of cross-cultural connections in that kind of way.
2: So in London being the capital holds most of this unfairly, but that's just the case. So you have the Black Culture Archives in Brixton in particular. It was started there in the 80s, it's moved around, now it has its nominal home in Winrush Square. Winrush Square didn't name that because after they came off the boat, they dropped Windrush them off on a bus in yeah. the middle of Brixton, in that square, mm-hmm. and left them to their own advances. Mm-hmm. So it made sense for it to come there, but since it's moved there with this big fancy building, it's become less accessible. Um, they were now open on Saturdays. So that's very, very new. So if you're not someone who's a freelancer who has a spare time, you can never go in there. They collaborated with Google, so they have a few digital collections now, much better. Again, we're dealing with people who are just much older than us. So the GPI, the George Padmore Institute, which sits on top of the first Black British bookshop, you know, when John De Rose died, he left it with his white British wife, who was not connected to the community, despite founding it with him. So she's found it difficult over 20 years to get people still coming back in. Cause mm. that's not her community. And when he passed, it was like the trustee, the boards, sure, but us, we don't know about it. So why am I gonna come to North London to look at these papers? Mm. But for me, this curious 15 year old, yeah, I'd go up to North London, send them an email. But it took 10 years for anyone to respect my position. As a black person, not a position because I have these accolades, just as someone who's worthy of being given access for them to Mm. be like, oh, yeah, sure, we want to work with you now. So Sarah White passed away, the woman I'm talking about, in December. But I saw her before I left. She was very generous. She gave me the papers I wanted, whatever duplicates she had she gave to me, um, particularly around the Caribbean artist movement. Mm. She promised when I come back, you know, she was kind of wet, but she passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I will never get access again. I just have to start that relationship all over again or mm. allowing other people to give me access mm. but really it's the local stuff go to Birmingham go to the Midlands the archives I get are usually outside of London because London they want to charge because they know it's going to turn into a Stephen McQueen documentary <sighs> I have access to BBC's archives but so does John O'Connor he gets preference mm. so he has a new mm. film coming out this year of course about a new crossfire again mm. let it go we've already done this
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: but
2: there's John O'Connor and he's esteemed they're going to give you all the efforts again to do it for the fourth time. Cool. And other researchers will never get that. It's as simple as. Mm.
5: Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank mm. you, thank you. Of course. Hello. Hello. Um, so, I'm such a fan, Rihanna, of what you are doing. huge huge fan and I have to say um I mean I feel like I don't talk about this but you know I went to SOAS Mm -hmm. and actually my dissertation was on the Notting Hill Carnival specifically looking at like what is the sort of from the production standpoint the cultural producer standpoint what do they feel that they are doing and of course that brings us into a whole other conversation about Claudia Jones about Mm -hmm. all of these things that are happening in the 40s and 50s And I'm just so glad to see, because this is like 10 years ago, right? And nobody was talking about that 10 years ago. Um, And so I'm just so thrilled to see you doing what you're doing, and I just wonder, what is the sort of most interesting or surprising thing that you've come upon in this archival research process?
2: Olive Morris, who was one of the British Black Panthers, she started Brixton's Black Women Group as well, again, like 82 84, between those years. She donated her archives, or her partner did, sorry, to Lambeth Archives, which is five minutes from me. And you can literally walk in. That went there, so the BCA, for a reason. I will not speculate, but there's a reason why I didn't go to the BCA. She had a white partner. That's not by accident either. Mm-hmm. So I never harped the resistance. How dare Olive Morris have a white English partner? We can question why she did or why she felt she had to. And that's the question around Black Britain and who these black women were loved by and cared for.
1: Uh-oh. And Mm -hmm.
2: without making this more simple uh, than it is, it's a case of we don't have the same kind of relations with each other in Black Britain for all kinds of reasons. Mm. So that kind of community fell apart very quickly, that small acts sentiment of Black Britain fell apart within a decade. Mm. New mm. Labour came through. They believed in the idea of Britishness. They thought that neoliberalism will save them, so they no longer had to be radicals. Stop burning uh. things, get over it. Margaret Thatcher said, if they were just British, if they just behaved like English people, be different. And that kind of encouragement, I think someone like my mum in particular, who behaved like an old colonial, thought that we would be the difference in England and we would have to deal with what she dealt with as a migrant. And that this was not the case. And mm. um, you know. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> you know that exactly, so the, there are particular black women who had links with people I didn't respect or would have preferred it not be the case, but it's the case. Because it was a very difficult time for them in the 80s and dealing with other black men and trying to organise a lot of conflict. And I only know this because I speak to them and they're now in their 60s and 70s and they're happy to be very transparent now. And as England has become this very large mixed-race nation and they push that agenda in particular to give them the idea of being open, expressive, you have mm. further pushed black people away from each other mm. to choose to be in community. Mm.
1: Mm.
5: Girl, okay. Um, so so uh, going back to Claudia Jones in particular, so like I said, my, my dissertation project was on the Notting Hill Carnival, looking at the whole thing from like an anthropological um, and cultural production standpoint. Um, but one of the things that like blew my whole mind and not in a good way was just the way that people made this distinction about her. For example, um, Lord, I can't remember the family's name at the moment, but uh, I did like some extensive interviews with this family who like the father was like very involved and now the son is making. You know, carnival, mass, mass costumes. Fine, fine, fine. And so I remember sitting in their living room, their family house, and, you know, his mother was there. She's probably in her 70s or 80s now. Um, but I brought up Claudia Jones, and she was like, Claudia Jones has nothing to do with Notting Hill Carnival. And I was just like, Miss, what? Like, and it was just this vitriolic... Uh-huh. And just, you know, not to... I mean, you brought up the La Roses. Um, That was also interesting, just like listening to how they talk about all of these things and how they talk about the women, Mm -hmm. particularly the women in the 90s that moved the carnival into like a very different uh, economic place. It's, mm, there's so much to unpack there. And I wonder, like, what does the archive tell you, like, definitively in that process?
2: I was with Olive Morris' papers, I think before I came to New York actually, so two months ago. Again, handwritten notes from her. Her travel pictures, not just ones in China where she's being respectable and a Marxist, but her on holiday in Italy, Mm -hmm. half dressed, her being a model, in like skimpy clothes and high heels, you don't think of Olive in that way because it wouldn't allow her to have that full life. Mm -hmm. She's only a radical, she's only meant to be on the front lines climbing chimneys to squat houses. We don't offer her that softness, or just a casual life, Mm -hmm. recreation, and this is how I want to think about them. So whilst I am looking at the UNI papers, and Amy and Claudia, Mm -hmm. I know their activism. I want to know what kind of cultural work they did. I want to know what they did in their spare time, and the way that they were geniuses for themselves, not just for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's the Mm -hmm. take that makes it a bit more difficult. So it requires me to talk to their friends and colleagues. Mm -hmm. Claudia, again, her partner was a South Asian man. That was a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. It still is. Wow. What can I do about, I can't tell these women in the 50s and 60s to go love black men and ignore everybody else. That's not my business. They had to survive. <laughs> Yo. And there's a reason why. So when I talk to some of the Black Panther women now, it's like the men, as soon as we decide to make a space for ourselves, they became different people. They weren't the comrades they had two years ago. And so all they can warn me and tell me is don't take it on your chest. It's not your job to change England now the way we thought it was. These wars is dark-skinned black women. You're not gonna be respected for doing mm-hmm. that. No one will remember you. Mm-hmm. So do what you can for mm-hmm. what you want to do for. Which is not what you want to hear as a historian. You want to believe, oh no. we can do it differently. But well, no, they've told me, that not we did that in the 80s.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
2: did and didn't work in these ways. Mm-hmm. And you're very off not bothering at all. Do what you want.
0: And on that note, we're gonna end it here. But I, you know, two things that made me think. One, that we are not entitled to anyone's archive, so mm-hmm. I, I want us to remember that. Um, but two, the way that we are, uh, activate what it is that we read or what it is that we find in the archive does make a difference, Absolutely. right? And and we don't know the ways in which it will reverberate into the world, right? Mm-hmm. But all you can do is do the work that you want to do with the resources and the information that you find. In the same way, we take we take um we take uh, advice. And we don't, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I think that there's some really interesting inquiries that that even come out of the absences and 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 the reasons as to why certain things exist and and why people are shaped in a certain kind of way and why they're not. Um, But that's the work that we get to do. Right. And I think it's also an opportunity for us to even think about what what does our lives look like, right? What are, we, what are the absences? What are the things people think actually about who we are versus who we purport to be out in the world? So I wanna thank King and Rihanna and Steven for this very rich conversation and taking us all the way up and through and around all the ways in which the materials that do exist and don't exist mm-hmm. in the archive. And I invite you to join us again at four o'clock with uh, Niyama Sophia Sandy. will be joined by Kimberly Gantt and they'll be talking about a new exhibition that is coming up uh, in October and it's around the cross-cultural um, conversations between an artist like Jacob Lawrence um, and his peers. Um, mm-hmm on the continent of Africa. So hope you all can join us for that, but stick around and talk to each other. Take care.
2: Yes I've
3: been looking for